The title of this message is The Sexiest Sermon You've Never Heard. First of all, because sexy shoes, Jamie, require a sexy sermon. But second, John 8, 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you will remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if we're gonna be a church that helps people to live on purpose, then we need to be a church that's not afraid to tell the truth about the real stuff that all of us are dealing with. We gotta get honest about topics like sex because when it comes to sex, all of us are affected by it in some way, shape or form. Some of us are having it. Some of us just think about it all the time. Some of us are trying to figure out how to talk to our kids about it. Some of us have been uh, abused or misinformed. Some of us like me have a history of pornography or promiscuity. Some of us are married, but the topic of sex is a point of contention and shame. Some of us have grown up making purity an idol. Some of us are just trying to stay out of other people's DMs, but all of us are affected by it. Studies show that 80% of teenagers are, are exposed before they're ever taught a thing about it. If you've got kids in middle school, they're already hearing about it and learning about it, but not from uh, pastors or parents, but from their peers and social media and TV. 50% of high schoolers are engaging in some sort of sexual activity. And, and, and still a lot of us, especially who grew up in the church, the only instructions we ever got when it comes to sex is don't have it. Sex is dirty, sex is gross, sex is bad. So save it for your husband. Save it for your wife. But so that's it, that's all I get. It's just don't have it. Well, what if I already have? What if I was exposed too early? What if, I mean, what if I've already got videos and images on loop in my mind and I, I can't do anything about it? Because if you're anything like me, you didn't learn about sex from scripture. You learned about it from peers and pornography. The devil wins when there's no clarity. That's why it's so key that we're talking about this kind of stuff in church. I really believe with all my heart that, that this kind of, like especially the world of sexual immorality is the devil's dominion and isolation is Satan's playground. And so even by having these conversations, he's not a big fan of that. Even by talking about this out loud in church, it's kind of like all of us are rallying together and trespassing on the devil's property and egging his house and sort of smashing some windows while we're at it. Clarity is kindness, awareness is, is currency, and for the sake of the next generations, we need to de-taboo this topic in the church and lay down whatever traditions we might have of keeping S-E-X hush-hush in the Lord's house because you're not as alone as you think you are. We're all in this together, and if the truth sets us free, then I wanna preach some bold truth with even more grace. I wanna be delicate, I also wanna be direct, because I, I believe while scripture is clear about sex, so often the church is quiet, which is why this will be the sexiest sermon you've never heard. But dear Lord, we better pray before we do anything else, all right? So Holy Spirit, we love you. And right now in Jesus' name, I pray away shame and condemnation. That life is too good and too short to waste it with nonsense like that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I also pray away the, the, the pull to be indifferent about sexual sin. That pull is strong. God, would you, would you, would you convict today? Would you call us to 
something higher today. Meet us with grace and truth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. All right, the very first thing I want you to write down in your color-coded diary is this. Sex is good because sex was God's idea. Sex is good. Do you think if I could ever get an amen at this church, you'd be for that? <laughs> Come on, people. Sex is good because sex was God's idea. Let's go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Now, that doesn't mean go plant fruit trees, Ryan. That means he's talking about doing the hibbity-dibbity, as some would say. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So I hear people all the time say, the Bible's just a big book of rules. And it's not. First and foremost, it's the story of a God who made you and loves you and saves you and calls you. But if you're gonna call it a big book of rules, at least be consistent and acknowledge the fact that the very first rule is to have sex. I want you to think about God's design with me for a second. He makes Adam and Eve as a husband and wife and places them naked and unashamed with each other in an all-inclusive paradise. And his command is not to go pray with each other. It's not to go take some communion. He tells them to go and have sex. God could have solved the, the procreation problem any way that he saw fit. He literally could have made like a baby garden where babies just sprout up. Like anytime we need a baby, there, there's a baby. But this good God, in his infinite wisdom, <laughs> praise his holy name, decided to make baby making fun. Sex might be the world's obsession, but it was God's idea. He is a good God who gives good gifts, and this might be the very first time you've ever heard this said in a church. A lot of us were taught, maybe if you grew up in, in youth group or a legalistic home, you were taught, you wanna be a Christian? Well, then believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, and stay a virgin, and then you'll go to heaven. And a lot of us were, were handed that, right? Don't be gross, keep your questions quiet, don't have sex, or you will get pregnant and die. We were warned lust is bad, but we were never taught desire is good. And that's hard to shake. You follow me? You find that out about day two of your honeymoon. But sex is, is a good thing because sex was, was God's idea. We were made sexual and sensual two chapters before we became sinful. God made sex. It was his design before the devil even shows up. So it's not like in the garden, God is running some errands and is coming home from Target back to Eden and sees Adam and Eve having sex and goes, no, Adam, you pervert, get off of her. Who told you you could do that? Some of you got clammy hands already and I love it. Because <laughs> that's not what happened. It was God who said, be fruitful and multiply Eat and drink your fill of love. Enjoy each other. Let me just give you one verse from Proverbs. By the way, the Song of Songs is in the middle of the Bible. It's this whole collection of very explicit and erotic songs and poetry about a husband and a wife and their, their love life. In fact, back in the day, Hebrew boys under the age of 13 weren't allowed to read it. 
That was like what they hid under their mattresses, you know, was the Song of Songs. It's in there, you didn't know that because you don't read your Bible, but you might now, Song of Songs. But we're not even going there. Here's Proverbs chapter five, 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. I'm just reading scripture here. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. So apparently, he's not this party pooper God that you heard about, this cosmic killjoy up in the sky. And maybe God knows more about sex than we do. And maybe what we actually need is a bigger and better vision of love than what the world is trying to offer us. What I'm saying is when you start to realize how good this God really is, messages like this aren't about not sinning anymore. They're about not settling. Last September, the New York Times, okay, published an article called Dating is Broken, Going Retro, AKA doing this God's way, retro, I like that, could fix it. And it cited a study published by the American Psychological Association. Let me just read part of this to you. Researchers found that couples who waited until marriage reported not just less consideration of divorce, but also higher relationship satisfaction, better communication, and superior sex when compared with couples who began having sex within a month of their first date. Couples who did not wait until marriage saw about half of those benefits. And we're gonna, we're gonna dig into that more. I'm gonna tell you a little bit of my story too, but I, I wanted to say that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Just because it's normal for the world doesn't mean it's good. In fact, most of what's normal for the world now is bad. Bad is now normal. <laughs> Divorce is normal. Anxiety is normal. Baggage is normal. Don't be normal, be weird. Thriving in life is weird now. Happiness in relationships, health in relationships is now weird. Be weird, trust God. Why? Because sex has a purpose and it's not what you think. Mark 10, six and nine, this is Jesus. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Two people become one, not just physically through sex, but emotionally through intimacy and spiritually through covenant. So you need to hear this in 2023. You're not married in God's eyes because you say some I do's and sign a license. The cake and the dress, that, that's not for him, that's for us. From God's vantage point, two become one when they consummate. This is rooted in the Hebrew word dode, that means the mingling of souls. So what's the purpose of sex then? To feel awesome, check. To make babies, check. To fill the earth and subdue it via some afternoon delight, check, 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 all awesome. But there's a greater purpose even than that. Two souls mingling and becoming one. And that's why sex is not just physical, even though we try to convince ourselves it is, even though the world preaches to us that it is. That's the world's brochure, it's just physical, so do whatever you want. But deep down, we know that it's not. 
As hard as that is to, to hear, if I don't tell you the truth in love, I'm not pastoring you. Besides, you already know this. Sex is not just physical. If it's just physical, why are you so secretive about your porn problem? If it's just physical, why is there there's so much shame attached to that, that thing that happened when you were 14, whether you decided to do it or it wasn't even your fault, it happened to you. You're still quiet about it, why? Why is it that women who are sexually assaulted are 10 times less likely to report it than women who are physically assaulted? Why, why is it that your relationship was never quite the same again once you had sex? It's because you're, you're saying I do to each other, but really you don't. And it, it might start to feel like uh, uh, my soul is stuck. Maybe it's because you're tying it to more and more people. And my prayer for you, my sincere prayer all week has been, God, heal people and free people from that in Jesus' name today. His, the power of his amazing grace through our repentance, that word repentance carries a lot of religious baggage and it's a shame that it does because repentance, that word is for you. That word needs to be redeemed in your life. Repentance, Peter says this in Acts three. He says, repent because times of refreshment follow repenting. Who associates the word refreshment with repentance? Repentance, contrary to popular belief, is not turning away from the good stuff to embrace the God stuff. It's when you realize the God stuff is the good stuff. There's something so much better for you right behind you if you will simply turn and face it. The healing, the freedom, I don't, I don't preach this because I read a verse about it. I preach this because I've lived it and experienced it in my own life. Sex is not just physical, it is spiritual and therefore profoundly powerful. And because of that, sex is like fire, it will either warm you or burn you. On a few occasions, the Apostle Paul likens sexual passion to fire in the New Testament. I remember the very first time I ever felt this in my life when I was watching Aladdin, Cartoon Jasmine. Oh, we can't be real in church today? I'll never forget being in fifth grade watching Titanic for the first time, and I don't have to explain that, hopefully, to anybody in this room. I thought, what's this feeling? Because I don't mind it. <laughs> so what Paul, he, he likens sexual passion to a fire. He's got this famous passage where he says, I wish all of you were as strong as me because you could stay single and probably be more effective for the kingdom of God, but since y'all aren't as strong as me, um, he says this, he says, it's better to marry than to burn with the fire of passion. He says, oh, you burn with passion? Get married, that'll put it out. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you just look straight at me, okay? <laughs> this is what God says about it. In case you are like, is it clear, is it, what is God's opinion on what he made? The covenant of marriage is the only relationship God designed to contain the fire that is sex. Stephen Furtick once said, passion might be pure, but passion needs parameters in order to serve the right purpose. In other words, building a fire is not a bad thing. The question is, where do you build it? 
So building a fire is, uh, is not wrong. The question is, building a fire that has zero parameters. For instance, where are you building said fire? In a fireplace or on a stage? Inside? <laughs> During a church service? It depends on the setting. And I've been praying about how far to take this sermon illustration. I guess we'll see what God does. We'll see what the good Lord wills. Back in college, I lived in the same house with Ryan and Ethan. You've heard so many stories about this era of our lives, and here's another one. This is a true story. At our house, the heater broke down for the entire month of November. It was so cold. And one afternoon, we decided enough's enough, and we, we wanted to build a fire to stay warm, but we didn't have a fireplace. So we built it on the living room floor. And for 10 seconds, it worked great. It kept us so warm until it, it smoked us out and almost burned down the house. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. Don't put this past me. I'm that crazy. I will set this thing on fire in here just to prove a point. <laughs> but how many know fire is not the problem? Fire is good. Fire purifies Fire warms your house in the winter. Fire cooks your food. Fire makes your candles smell awesome. Fire gives light. Fire is a gift. The difference is whether or not it's contained. So this is fire. God made it. His idea, it's a gift and it's good. It also burned down 1,084 homes in 11 hours last year in Superior, Colorado. Sex is like fire. It will either warm you or burn you, depending on whether or not you have a place for it. Only a covenant can contain that kind of passion. So in the place of marriage, sex brings intimacy, sex brings connection, it brings oneness, it brings warmth. But outside of that place, in the wrong place, sex can also create shame and fear and isolation and broken families, anxiety, depression, addiction, and suicide, not just to individuals, but to generations. The right passion with the wrong parameters. A good gift from God, but outside of God's good guidelines. And sex can and has burned down entire nations. There's a reason why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. That sounds like legalism at first. That's actually wisdom. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Sexual sin is not like other sin, not in the fact that it makes God love you less or condemn you more, but in the fact that it hurts you more. That's what sets it apart. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. 
you say, man, there's a reason you start to feel less and less whole as the years go by. It's because this is not like other sin. And middle schoolers and high schoolers, look at me, like, you are allowed to learn this the easy way. You are. Some of us, man, have, because uh, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's, by the way, that's why when some people, when people say to me, I can't believe you'd ever, you'd talk about SEX in the Lord's house. I go, you are the Lord's house. You, not this building. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, there God is. Sunday morning, Friday night, you are the Lord's house. That's why Paul says this stuff is not like other stuff. This will hurt you. This will burn you. A lot of us have just been, we've been building fires where we shouldn't be building fires. And we've been, we've been falling for the trap, buying the lies of the world that, that the devil is, is such a good liar and we have such a good God, but he's trying to convince you that, that, that God is holding out on you. The same thing he tried to convince Adam and Eve of in the garden, successfully, by the way. Pay attention to how easy it is to convince human beings, even in paradise, that God is holding out on them. He, and he, he would try to convince you everybody who's looking for it in, in, sec, in the world of sexual immorality is finding it, and you gotta do this to, to be sexy. You gotta do this to fit in. If you're looking for it, you'll find it here. And so one more video and one more one night stand and go home with that person one more time and add another log. And add, you know, it's, it, it, sound, it only sounds crazy that we would build a fire in our house, but when you're cold, you will do anything to feel warm. And when you feel how cold loneliness and isolation is, you will do anything for the warmth of intimacy and, and enter Satan to convince you that infatuation is the same thing as intimacy. Did you know in Latin, infatuation means false fire? It only looks like intimacy. That video, that, 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 that experience only looks like fire, only looks like intimacy, but it cannot warm you, it can only burn you but keep adding just another, another log and more, more kindling and more lighter fluid and more gasoline on the fire. And before you know it, you just go, there, there is there's so much destruction. And, and shame off of you, regardless. Like I thought about having a, a big thing of, of like a big bottle of lighter fluid labeled shame and how we try to put fires out by thinking shame's gonna help then you'll knock it off. Actually, shame is usually what causes us to build fires in the first place. Why on earth would it be the answer? And then I was gonna walk out here with a big fire extinguisher <laughs> labeled grace and actually do it just to make a point, but that would ruin a lot of stuff in here. <laughs> Bridget Fatassi is a former columnist for Playboy magazine, and she wrote this in an article that recently went viral. At the time, I would have told you I was liberated, even while I tried to drink away the sick feeling of rejection when my most recent hookup didn't call me back. At the time, I would have said one night stands made me feel emboldened, but in reality, I was using sex like a drug, trying unsuccessfully to find my completion. I know regretting most of my sexual encounters is not something a sex-positive feminist who used to write a column for Playboy is supposed to admit. And for years I didn't. The lie I told myself for decades was, I'm not in pain, I'm empowered. 
Pastor Ben Stewart shares a story about one evening, uh, I think this was at Texas A&M, he was preaching a sermon about sexual immorality, and then this, uh, this young guy comes up to him, tears in his face, on his face after the sermon and says, I, I know this all too well. Um, I grew up in a very legalistic home, and I always had these um, fantasies and sexual ideas of things I wanted to do, and I moved to New York City about a year ago, and one month into living in New York, I had a night where everything I fantasized about and wanted to do, I did. Got on the train later that night back to my apartment, started crying, and then couldn't stop because I found out it didn't give to me, it took from me. It didn't warm me like it promised to. It burned me. And this is, this is where the message sort of turns because this is actually not a message about sexual sin. This is a message about the grace of God. This is a message about the love of Jesus. This is a message about redemption. There's a story in John chapter eight where this woman is caught in adultery during a religious festival. So picture that scene. She gets caught in the act, dragged out of her tent in the middle of a religious festival. It doesn't get much worse than this, you guys. Thrown onto the dirt in front of an angry mob full of men with rocks in their hands and their pockets ready to stone her according to the Mosaic law. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and stands between the mob and this woman, kneels down and doodles something in the dirt. We don't know what he drew. And the mob's talking and chirping at him and he officially is ignoring them. And he looks at this woman and smiles, which is important to know God is not shocked by your sin. I say this a lot, you're not better at sinning than he is at saving you. Like you, you're not that, you're not more powerful than his grace. Sometimes you just need to get over yourself and receive grace because you're not that good even at messing up. Like you're not the one person who has shocked him with your ability to sin. Like God looks at you and goes, wow. Oh my me, well I've never seen this. Spirit, Gabriel, look at this, this is. He's not shocked. And then he says this in John chapter eight, verse 12. He says, woman, where are they? Because he tells this mob, if you don't have any sin, go ahead and throw a stone and they all leave. So he says, woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. That's grace. Now go and sin no more. That's truth. Grace invites you to be free. Truth sets you free. Grace says you are loved exactly as you walked in here today, regardless. And truth says you're loved too much to leave here the same. As a pastor, um, I, I, I tried to add it up yesterday. I think I've had on average 10 pastoral meetings a week since 2010. So about 6,500 conversations, no small talk, all real talk. And I love it because I love people. And I actually relate way more to y'all's weaknesses than your strengths. Um, even as a pastor, I'm not wearing a cape up here. I think you figured that out by now. I don't have a judgmental bone in my body. I got my stuff, but judging's not one of them. 
And so this isn't a critique, it's an observation that I hope is helpful. Talking to other pastors and in all of my meetings, I've noticed 75% of the baggage and stress and problems we talk about are symptoms of sexual immorality whether yours or somebody else's, from the smallest stuff, from a wandering mind, all the way to addiction and affairs. And, and you field endless critiques from people about God's way of handling sex, while at the same time, pastoring the same people through endless repercussions of the world's way of handling sex and you just pray they see Jesus as you stand in the tension with them. This is not a message about what not to do. This is a message about a God who's better, about a God who's not holding out on you. And I wanna show you a video testimony from Dan and Tracy Fulmer, a very important and special, amazing couple in this church. This video is about as real as it gets. And once again, this is not a video about sin as much as it is a video about the amazing grace of our God and how much more he has for every single one of us if we will simply go, God, I pick you. Watch this video. Dan and I married in 1998 and we had a great relationship. We spent a lot of time doing things together. We worshiped together. We served in our church, and we had a great time with that. Tracy helped with the youth. She helped with the nursery, and uh, I was on the worship team. It was it was fun. It was rewarding. Uh, but then it got to a point where we realized we joke about it that uh, that Tracy was a worship leader widow. That. Uh, we never sat together in church. We never worshiped together. We just kind of both ran along our paths and, and would cross when it was time to get in the car and go home. You know, I tell people I felt like I had enough God. Not that I had enough of God, but that my cup was full or full enough. And I'm like, yeah, I don't need it anymore. You know, I'm good. It was that mindset that, that kind of started you know, the fall, if you will. I did uh, what we call the uh, my selfish ambition phase where uh, uh, everything was about Dan. I was at a conference for my company and um, and Satan got a hold of me. I basically started by blowing a hole right through our marriage. It tried to make things right, tried to make things better uh, and and tried to treat Tracy better, but but the uh, the shame was just eating me alive and I confessed and, uh, and I just could see her heartbreak. So when Dan's confession came, I, I was completely floored. He said words that I thought I would never hear. And um, I think part of my heart just fell out. I didn't know that I was ever gonna get it back. I was pacing around trying to find my Bible. I thought if I could just find the words that I'd written, things that I've prayed from our family, for our friends, that that would, that would give me comfort. And I couldn't find it. It was none of the places I thought it should be. And so finally I was in my office and I just buried my face in my hands and I said, God, I just need to find my Bible. And literally as I did that, I looked down and it was sitting on the floor at my feet. So I thought, okay, God, you can answer that prayer. 
maybe you can answer some of these others. And I, I just continued asking, Lord, what am I gonna do? Um, do I stay in this relationship or do I not? And his, you know, his calm words to me were, well, you know, you can walk, but what do you wanna do? And I wanted to stay. And so I did, I went in and told Dan, I said, I love you and you're mine. And I kissed him and told him that that was, um, that was what I wanted, that I forgive you. That was Saturday night. That, uh, that next Sunday morning, we went to church together. We sat together for the first time in years and took communion together for the first time in years. Just completely overwhelming to see and to feel what God's grace is through something like that. Because we are all just one bad decision away from being that guy. And that's where I was. You know, I'd said all along, this is never gonna happen to me. It's never anything I'm gonna go looking for. And then one day it hit. Year 20, when I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be with him anymore, uh, year 21 came around and we did have our vow renewal. In fact, we had it here in our backyard. Our kids sang for us, it was beautiful. And I will say this, it is not that Dan was made perfect, but I will tell you that God created in him a husband that I never ever thought I was going to get. And he has been beautiful to me every day since then. And it hasn't been all perfect. Um, we've had lots of bumps and bruises along the way. We've treasured the fact that there is a covenant and that our God is there. and He is the one that's held us together. This is not, it's not something amazing that Dan did or that I did. It is purely just trusting that God would have it if we would just trust him with it. This year we will celebrate 25 years together and I, I couldn't be happier than being with him at this point. Too. I love you too. Yeah, amen. Uh, if God's not real, I don't know how that, that's possible. Um, Dan and Tracy, thank you for your vulnerability. That takes so much guts. Dan's courage to confess and repent. And oftentimes it's uh, at the end of ourselves where we come to the beginning of God. And Tracy, your forgiveness is, um, and that's just a small picture of, of, of God. So if you hear nothing else today, you hear this, forgiveness is not fragile. And I'm not telling you to listen to me or don't do this because of the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you to go to God. I say, God, what about my life needs to change right now? Where am I building fires where I shouldn't be? Um, he's not mad, he's not a wrist slapper. He's a dad who only wants to embrace you and give you that warmth of intimacy you're so desperately looking for. And I just, man, I, it's so funny because when I started dating Sam and then we get engaged and all of dating and engagement, I would find myself, um, like it'd be 2 a.m. at her apartment. We'd be watching a movie and I would want so badly to stay the night and not so we could cuddle, you know? Because in every other relationship I've ever had before that, that's what I would do is stay the night. And now all of a sudden I find myself getting into the car at 2 a.m. in the snow, driving 30 miles home blasting music to try to stay awake, just so tired, just 
so sexually frustrated. <laughs> I'm like, God, as a 23-year-old, that's like borderline cruelty, okay? Just going home to take a cold shower and try to fall asleep and not fully even understanding why I'm doing this. But looking back and going, also that was some of the most intimate moments I've ever had with God. Where I just felt like he was in the front seat next to me saying, hey buddy, I love you so much and had you stayed, I'd still love you. But I'm so proud of you. Because even though you don't fully understand, just thank you. With God, the right way is rarely the easy way. Sexually, financially. Oh, but you got royal blood in your veins. You're up for it. There's something in you that, that knows it's actually not made for the road most traveled. Jesus says, and I don't even believe this is speaking about heaven forever then and there. I think he's talking about right here and right now. There is a, a road that is narrow in this life. Few find it that leads to life. Because there's so many ways the world offers that seem right to us, but in the end lead to destruction, lead to burning, lead to says, but man, if you could just be weird and trust me, you might be weird and have a healthy, happy, holy soul. You know how weird that is? Um, so the question becomes not like, how far can we go, pastor? Like, what can I not do? What can I do? <laughs> and I, I get that. And like I said, I'm now on the other side of that table because God's a comedian. I used to ask those questions and now I'm answering them. And I just had that experience to draw from of like, hey, the question now is like, God, how do I, how do we honor you as most as we can possibly honor you? Because the more we seem to do that, the more you meet us with everything we've actually been looking for, including a thriving sex life. Um, God's not a formula, blessing is not a formula. And at the same time, you don't get it without sacrifice. And so God, what do I, whatever I have to do to do this your way? And that journey is fueled by grace. Grace invites you to be free, truth sets you free. Jesus showed up as a truth claim. But what sets Christianity apart from every other religion is yes, it's a truth claim, but it showed up dressed in grace. And so that's my challenge for you as we worship right now is just, you go to your dad. Say, God, what, what do I need to do? What can I, how do I repent? Repenting lead, leads to refreshment. What do I, he's a dad. And let him just talk to you. Obedience is on us and the outcome is on him. And so I'm gonna, I, I guess right now I'm trying to, do the Holy Spirit's work, I'll confess that. I'm trying to like create something supernatural in this room with words and language and um, I'm just gonna shut up and pray for the Holy Spirit to move individually in our hearts the way you need him to. So will you guys stand? Um, Father, I pray against condemnation in Jesus' name.
but I pray for conviction in Jesus' name. Because I know the freedom it leads to. Would you convict? Would you meet us exactly where we are? Would you give us a vision of the more you have for us? In Jesus' name.